All right, News Talk 1110-993 WBT. We want to welcome to the program Mark Walker. He's a former congressman from North Carolina, and he is running for U.S. Senate now. Uh, congressman or former congressman. Uh, well, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? Pete, we're doing great. Thanks. Thanks for uh, allowing us to come on with you today. Certainly. Absolutely. So um, do you still... Is that the deal, like you still get called congressman even though you're not in Congress any longer? Like, how long does that last? Do you know? Well, it depends if you ask my wife or not. She doesn't That's... refer to me in any titles. But uh, I think the proper <laughs> protocol is once you've served there, I, I do think people still use the title. But but most people, I'm a grassroots guy. Mark is fine. Okay. I think sometimes I think people like to use the title because it makes it sound like I know someone in Congress by saying the title and other people hear me say it. Uh, all right, so uh, you're actually going to be uh, doing an event in uh, Charlotte coming up. I want to ask you a couple questions about, like, namely, it's going to be at Bank of America Stadium. So you've, you've got enough space for it, sounds like. <laughs> yes, we we are <laughs> delighted. Uh, I really feel privileged to be Coach Tony Dungy's the Hall of Fame football coach. We're his first ever U.S. Senate endorsement, and he felt like with our conservative background and, and the ability to reach multiple communities, it's something that he wanted to come out public and do. And they have a kind of a banquet hall. We're not we're not quite feeling oh. the stadium. We're not we're not at that level. No, we're not like we're Rolling Stones. Not like the Rolling Stones tickets, like that kind of thing. Not 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 at all. I don't want to <laughs> appear to be, but we are we are delighted to welcome Coach uh, Tony Dungy to Charlotte, and certainly grateful to be endorsed by him. So I got to ask, how did you, how did you swing that? Because I think I spoke with you when you initially launched your campaign, and you had just a whole slew of endorsements. Uh, so how did you? I mean, and like you mentioned, right? Dungy doesn't do this, as far as I knew. So how did you get? How did you get this? Well, I think our relationship started. I was per caucus uh, chairman of the uh, of the U.S. House, um, and I uh, I enjoyed that. But one of the things when COVID happened, uh, Nancy Pelosi shut down a lot of meetings. So what I would do is I would do these Zoom meetings with different speakers and different guest artists from C.C. Winans to Michael W. Smith, John Maxwell, Tony Dungy. And they were delighted to come in and do these Zoom conferences, kind of a devotion time and prayer and some special music by these artists. And that's really how I cultivated the relationship. And the more that we talked and the more that he saw people endorsing me, like Senator Tim Scott and Clarence Henderson and a lot of different people, conservatives from the different communities, uh, we just kind of merged and uh, flew down to Tampa a few weeks ago and we sealed the deal and uh, glad to have him coming to Charlotte. I also appreciate that you did not call it Tampa Bay. You went to Tampa. That's a common uh, people call it Tampa Bay for some reason. It's but the city they is do. Tampa. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> that's why I guess that's when you know the the culture of football has completely taken over. Like it's even supplanting geographical names. Um, so this is pretty wild. So what uh, what's the event going to be like? Are folks going to be able to like I don't know like talk to Tony Dungy or anything? Well, but yeah. I mean, we I mean we've got uh, it certainly building around a fundraiser. We're doing some things there, but we're opening it up, and he'll speak to the entire crowd around six thirty. If people want more information, they can certainly go to our website, uh, Walker the number four nc dot com, Walker for nc dot com, and they can get more information and even sign up to join us if they would like. Uh, so let me uh, shift gears. You mentioned funding, and so um, obviously you're paying attention to what's going on with the uh, the debt fight going on. By the way, I'm not sure. I haven't checked within the last ten minutes. I'm not sure if Joe Manchin has been asked whether he has changed his position on uh, the debt, <laughs> the debt limits yet. So, what's your? Let me just ask, uh, General, what's your what's your read on the situation? Uh, obviously, there's the fiscal side of it, but there's also this political wrangling side, which is just as important, right? The strategy. 
Yes, no, yeah, great question. And as far as Joe Manchin, I, I know uh, Joe Manchin, and I look, I think he's a nice guy, but I certainly wouldn't put my confidence in trusting whether he's going to hold the line on some of this. Uh, certainly uh, very powerful right now, kind of being that 50th in Kirsten Cinema. But as far as specifically the heart of your question, the debt limit, you know, I think Joe Biden, I just heard a quick sound bite of coming back from Pinehurst meeting with the Republican women. I heard just enough for him to kind of show his level of competence and try to convince the American people, hey, this money is for past due stuff, not all the, not all the spending I'm getting ready to drop on your head. <laughs> I, I, I think it's problematic both in the PR aspect but also politically. Every time that we come to this place, the reason that I voted against the debt limit is the same argument every time. Oh, you got to vote for this because this is about, you know, keeping our credit rating and paying bills that are past due. Well, what in God's name are you going to do to, to change the agenda, to change the course? And that's one of the reasons that we're trying to take that same fiscal responsibility. The reason why I voted against the omnibus, the re- reason that I voted against the spending bill, the reason I was even willing to call out our two U.S. senators I was the only Senate candidate that went public calling them out on this fake infrastructure bill. This is what we need in both the U.S. House and the Senate to get our fiscal house in order. The American dream, Pete, for our children, grandchildren, is going through this contraction process, and I worry what we're leaving for our children. What do you think of, and do you know the details behind the penny plan? Do you know about that? And I'm not well-versed in it. I've heard of it. Do you know anything yeah, about I'm it? Do you familiar, like it? I'm very familiar with it. My, my, when I served as, I chaired the largest caucus in Congress, Republican Study Committee. One of the people on my executive team was Marsha Blackburn. And this is something that she was trying to drive through. She got it to the House floor twice. Once it received 140 votes, and the other time it received 150 votes. The only problem with that is that 75 to 80 members voted against it. In fact, uh, I'm the last member to get a balanced budget amendment to the U.S. House floor. And 47 Republicans voted against it. And that's, that's part of the problem, not holding our own accountable sometimes. So um, how does the, and I've heard people argue that the Republicans need to quit playing defense uh, on this stuff and need to go on offense. Uh, do you agree with that? And uh, if so, what does offense look like? Well, I think you touched on it. First of all, yes, I agree with it. The second thing is make putting the votes out there and making the Republicans go on record. Now, it's a little challenging with Speaker Pelosi controlling all 19 committees because you don't get a chance to get this stuff even out of the committee, much less to the U.S. House floor. But Republican conservatives, if you're going to run on that, and that's part of your campaign slogan to raise money to get people to vote for you, that doesn't mean that it's just hyperbole. That means when you have to take the tough votes, that you do stand the ground. Uh, listen, I, I, I'm not opposed to funding the military and some of the things that we need to do, but I'm a fiscal hawk. I don't run from it. I've taken it on the chin a few times when I voted against bills that weren't paid for, even by my own Republican Party. But I think it's very important that, that we do have that accountability. I think it's the only way that we're going to fix it long-term, Pete. Yeah. Uh, real quick, what do you think of Merrick Garland's uh, threat to local folks at school board meetings? Well, I, 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 I can't believe they're saying some of this stuff out loud. That's what changed the six years that I've served in the U.S. House. The left most of the time did their dealing in back rooms under the table. Now, because they feel like they have such wokeness across the landscape, including corporation, the classroom, everywhere else, they now have changed that to put it in your face and dare us to stop them. So one of the things that I am finding hope about pushing back some of the stuff that, that the DOJ is is suggesting, or the IRS with the Biden administration, is there are people, as I'm traveling the nine hours across this state, that are getting involved, they're going through this awakening process, 
that have never been involved in the political arena. They don't feel like they have a choice. And I believe we must have everybody involved to push back against this tidal wave of leftist corruption. See, now, I think there's an opportunity here. If we can entice, like, Black Lives Matter or Antifa to protest at the school board meetings, then maybe the DOJ takes an interest in them. Well, yes. Yes, changes their horse and stream real quick. It, 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 it's certainly hypocrisy, and, and I think that's why you have to have some truth-tellers pointing this stuff out. Yeah. Uh, Mark Walker, appreciate your time. Safe travels to you. And if you want more information on the event with Coach Tony Dungy, it's at walkerfornc.com. That's the number four, walkerfornc.com. Thanks so much. Uh, Safe travels. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Thanks again to Mark Walker for uh, joining us. I do appreciate that. He's running for U.S. Senate. I think now we've had, I think I've had every one of the Republicans running for Senate on the program. Ah, no. Marjorie Eastman. In my defense, she just entered the race. So <laughs> she's, uh, she's a Republican, Marjorie K. Eastman, running for Senate. And uh, she says in her announcement video, quote, I'm a conservative. I'm pro-life. I'm pro-Second Amendment. I went to war to fight for our country and our beliefs. Today, the mission has changed. Today, the mission is here at home. In addition to Ted Budd, the field features... Uh, former Congressman Walker, um, who had lobbied Trump for an endorsement, as well as former Governor Pat McCrory, whom the former president despises, according to David Drucker at the Washington Examiner. I did not know that, that Trump despises Pat McCrory. Did you know that? I wasn't aware of that. And I follow this stuff pretty closely. Heck, I just talked to Pat McCrory a couple of days ago. I'm going to have to ask him that. I also... Remind me, too, I need to ask him about the chair over there in the corner. That chair. He, so for folks who may not be aware, it's still there, right? That wooden chair that's over there. Okay, so for people who don't know, now this is the story I heard from Bo in the morning, was that when Pat was doing the show here, from, what, 8 to 10 a.m. weekdays, on his way into the studio one morning, he saw this chair that somebody had thrown away. They put it out on the curb for the trash to pick up. I believe that would be called bulky item collection. And so he stopped his car and he checked it out, deeming it worthy. He then put it into his vehicle and brought it here. And I think the point was that he was going to, I think he was going to bring it home or he was, I don't know, but it doesn't, but it's super short. It's a really old timey chair. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's swivel. I will say that it it turns, but it's all wood and it looks pretty nice. I don't think it raises up or down and it seems very low to the ground, but it's a neat little old uh, you know, if you're going antiquing, this might be something you would score. Wasn't he in the studio last Friday? Didn't why didn't he take it with him? <laughs> this is this is what I'm asking. <laughs> if he wins the Senate race, is he going to come back and grab that chair and take it up to Washington? I don't know. I need to ask him about this because if he's not going to take it, I am. <laughs> I'm t- for two reasons. Number one, I kind of like the chair. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I mean. Besides sit, sit in it, sit it. yes, I'm going to sit in it. Uh-huh. But that, 
but I don't know if I can actually use it at a desk because it seems, again, really short. And I don't know, like, it seems really old. So I don't even know if they had invented the way to, like, lift the chair up. I don't think they had the hydraulic lift system for the chair at that time. So I think it just swivels. That's a great question. If there's actually, like, a, a, a proportionate size desk for that chair. <laughs> I think it'd be a coffee table. I think you're in coffee table uh, territory. How low that chair sits to the ground. <laughs> And so maybe that's why he hasn't taken it, but it's still there. It's still in the corner. It serves no purpose in that corner of the studio. It's like right here. I can see it. It's right there. And so it also, but it takes up room in the corner. And so when you're trying to move some of the chairs around, it's in the way. So that's the other reason. So like, I want to get it out of the studio, but I also, you know, I wouldn't mind taking it. (laughs) For selfish reasons. I'm just looking for a solution here, okay? I am all about solutions. That's what this is about, for the record. Privately, though, I would, yes, bring it back to my house. Now, that being said, um, I need to ask, so I need to ask that first off, like, can, can, we, can I have this chair? And does that count as some sort of a political contribution or something like that, right? That's the first thing. The second thing is, like, I, would, I do need some confirmation on this story. Like, this is what actually happened. He, did, would, he did give you that car that you've been driving around. Right. So a chair is probably well within the wheels. But, see, here's the thing. When he's driving into the studio and he sees the chair on the side of the road, and from what I was told, again, Bo told me this story because Pat said it on the air, but I, like, I would like to confirm that when Pat pulled over and got the chair, that apparently the homeowner came out and saw him loading the chair into the car. And so... Like, I would love to know from the homeowner's perspective, like, did she put out, like, a desk the next day? Like, this chair caught a former mayor and governor. Like, if I put a desk out there, I could get, like, Trump to show up here. You never know. Like, if you're going to be baiting the side of the road here with antiques, she may have put out, like, really valuable stuff. I don't know. I'm just kind of curious if he ever saw anything else on the side of the road in front of that house. So... But I would like the chair. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Maybe I'll take a picture of the uh, of the chair. Oh, I could do that. I'll take a picture of the chair. And then for the Talktoberfest, which I believe is going to happen tomorrow night, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure this is happening tomorrow night. 7.30. I think it's going to be via WBT.com. Pretty sure. We're going to be talking. And it's October and it's kind of festy. So that's what's happening. I'm going to be... Oh, I... and So I'm going to be on with Bo Thompson tomorrow for the Talktoberfest event. I think it's at like 7.30. And so I can ask him about this. I'm going to take a picture of that chair. And I do know how to do a screen share... On a live stream. Yeah, I saw you do that the other day on your uh, on your broadcast. I mean, okay, let's, you know, you don't have to get all, <laughs> you know, let me just calm down. It's kind of making me uncomfortable, the amount of accolades here you're giving me. But. <laughs> By the way, a listener said that uh, if you check under the chair, there's a ring that I think allows you to raise the chair up, regardless of like how. Why are you just telling me this now? Because they called during the break. Why are you just telling me this now? We should have just. 
prolonged the break, and I could have tested it. I'll have to do it during the next break. Okay. We have PPM to worry about. That changes everything. That changes everything. Um, all right, so, yeah, so I'll have to ask Bo about it. I will take a picture of it. Maybe I shouldn't. I don't want to create, like, a frenzy. It's not even my chair. I don't want to pump up the value of this thing, actually. It's a terrible chair. It's awful. It's probably broken. It smells like trash or something. It's terrible. Nobody wants it. That's why it's been here for however long it's been here. It's been here for like a year, at least, I think, <laughs> since pre-COVID. Yeah, the fact that Pat came back and didn't take it with him, that's probably right. an indication of how bad the chair is. Right. Maybe he got a different vehicle in the meantime, and it doesn't fit in his car any longer. Maybe he got like, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, get this. The Supreme Court... U.S. Supreme Court ordered a lower court to vacate its judgments against a Trump administration plan to use billions of dollars in diverted Department of Defense funding to construct a wall along the U.S.-Mexico border. You remember this story? I know, right? It's been a while. So remember, Donald Trump was like, we're going to take some of this money and we're going to use it to build a wall. And it was DOD money. And so, of course, we finally found like a topic where the left was like, don't you dare defund the military. (laughs) All of a sudden, the left became the biggest defenders of defense spending. I've never seen this happen before. But when Trump was like, I'm going to use it for the wall, and that's defense spending. It's a wall. It's like walls are defensive in nature. Like, say what you want about Trump, but that made logical sense to me. Anybody who's played any kind of... uh, uh, medieval uh, city building game, you know, on uh, the Xbox or the PC or something. You play a video game, you know, walls are defensive structures. You got to go into the drop down menu. It's a defensive structure. Anyway, so when he's like, I'm going to use it, this money from the DOD, I'm going to build a wall. And they sued. The left sued to prevent him from doing this. At uh, play here is three and a half billion dollars in diverted. Pentagon funds and uh, Trump uh, moved it under a national emergency declaration after efforts stalled to secure congressional funding for the project. So when Trump did this, the move, according to the blaze.com, the move prompted fury and legal challenges from environmental groups, including the Sierra Club And the ACLU, because walls are also a violation of civil liberties or something. So those environmental groups went on to win in the lower courts. But when the Trump administration appealed the matter to the Supreme Court, well, the Supreme Court ordered that construction could continue while the case made its way through the legal system. Then Biden took office and circumstances dramatically changed. Biden ended the policy of diverting military funds to border wall construction by executive order and instead transferred the funds towards other military projects. Responding to the changes, the Supreme Court decided Monday to remand previous rulings to lower courts and ordered them to relitigate the issue. This is basically because Biden changed the deal. And so now the arguments kind of don't make any sense any longer, right? Because They're not using the money for the wall. And so the issues at play no longer exist. And so the Supreme Court threw it back down to the lower courts. Now, this is the strategy. And this is a perfect example of it. Is that when the when the uh, Democrats control the White House, they issue all of these executive orders. 
And it's, by the way, and I've said this before, this is one of the reasons why I was a Rand Paul supporter in the GOP primary was because he was the only candidate in those early days. He was the only candidate who was running on a platform, essentially, of reigning in the executive branch. Nobody else seemed to even talk about it. Ted Cruz eventually did talk a little bit about it. Um, and when Rand Paul dropped out, then I became a Ted Cruz supporter. Um, and and that's and that was it. Like, and then Cruz lost in the primary, and Trump became the nominee. Well, Rand Paul was the only guy that talked about reigning in the federal uh, or the executive branch. And this is precisely my problem with the growth of executive power. It comes at the expense of the legislature, and the legislators are perfectly happy and willing to allow this to occur. They keep turning over more and more authority and power over to the executive branch, to the agencies, and also to the judiciary as well. And what this means is now you've got people in the legislature that don't actually have to do anything except show up at a hearing, right, grill some bureaucrat or appointee, get a video that goes viral, fundraise off it, and that's it. And that's the gig now. And I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. I'm I'm wanting the legislature to do legislative things. And this is the strategy that uh, the left used uh, to thwart Trump. The only reason he was able to keep the program going was because the Supreme Court weighed in and said, no, he can still keep doing it while we litigate the matter. So then what happens is, right, Trump is out, Biden's in, and Biden moves the money away. Now, get this. There's a website, Law 360. They say that the justice's one-paragraph ruling did not provide a detailed rationale for vacating the Ninth Circuit ruling that had barred the funding redirection. While the court order appears on the surface to be a major blow to the Biden administration, the legal blog noted that the administration had sought precisely this outcome. Relitigation could allow the federal government to push back against earlier rulings that limited executive power. You see, so when Trump was in the executive branch, when he was in charge, they wanted to limit the executive power. They wanted to block him from doing this thing. But now Trump is gone. Biden is in. And so now it's like, well, we can relitigate this and get back that power for ourselves. So the the strategy is block a Republican president from doing what they want to do using the very powers that Democrats use to undo those things. Another classic example, obviously, was the DACA stuff, right, where Obama uh, changed the law when he said he couldn't. Remember, he said this would be unconstitutional if he changed the law by fiat, by executive decree. And then he did it because it was politically expedient and advantageous to do so. So he does it. Then Trump comes along, tries to reverse it, and you get Democrats in the judiciary, lawyers in robes, who say, oh, you can't do that. So essentially, a Democrat executive order gets to stand forever and ever and ever. Meanwhile, Biden then comes in and undoes everything that uh, Trump put in. A different rule book. That's the Rolling Stones. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Final segment here of the program. Well, 
All right, I'll get to you. I'll get to your email here, Dean. I'll read it. Let's see. Um, I just saw it. Computers are the problem. I, I don't know. This is a subject line titled People slash Computers slash Facebook. And it is from 2.30 today. What was I talking about at 2.30? I was talking about the chair. What is? Anyway, computers are the problem. They are all based on either ones or zeros. No in-between. Whoa. <laughs> That's deep, man. No 1.5 or 2.2. It's all just ones and zeros. And that is what they are turning us into. Listen to your callers. They are not there to move towards a solution on any subject. It has to be either their exclusive way or no way. Really? That's weird. I say it all the time. I'm all about solutions. All about them. I come up with lots of solutions. For example, I just came up with one today. I'm going to make some room in this studio. Yeah, I'm going to get that chair out of here. I mean, I got a plan. It's going to take a while, but I've already set the wheels in motion. By the way, not the wheels on the chair. They are broken, just in case anybody thinks this is a non-defective chair. The wheels are busted. So you don't want this chair. You want me to take the chair out of here. Okay. Uh, They are not there to move towards a solution on any subject. This is always what kills me, too. I think I know a little bit about Dean's uh, perspective, shall we say, on things. And... um, One of the things I encounter a lot of times with folks uh, that are not of the right, they believe that people on the right are not interested in a solution, when in fact, people on the right are actually interested in a great many solutions. They're just not leftist solutions. And so to the leftist, they're not seen as solving a problem. Like, like what, we're just supposed to go out and find our own health care? Well, that's not a solution. What if I can't find it? Well, you will find it because there'll be lots of people providing health care. Like, if government isn't doing the schools, what am I going to do? Where am I going to get some of my kids? The kids could be stupid and uneducated. Like, that's got nothing to do with there not being vouchers. That's actually a product of the government schools. The point here is that just because... The solutions that are offered up by the right entail more freedom and uh, a free market approach, a capitalist approach. It doesn't mean it's not a solution. In fact, it is the solution that has lifted more people in world history out of poverty, out of the kind of grinding poverty that has kept people with, you know, lifespans at 30 years old. For most of human existence, the the uh, invention, if you will, of free market capitalism, the recognition, uh, the the codification of essentially freedom into an economic system, coupled with the American uh, experiment here, has done more to lift people out of poverty than any other system ever, ever. There are. Fewer people now in poverty because of the American experiment. So uh, a little credit where it's due. But that's a solution, Dean. So just because uh, it's not a top-down GovCo decision uh, or a solution doesn't make it not a solution. We, we actually share many of the same goals. If I am to take you at your word, and I'm kind of projecting onto Dean a lot of uh, 
leftism here, and he may not subscribe to all sorts of leftist ideologies, but I get a sense what his politics are. So we don't disagree on where we want to go in a lot of cases. Like, do you want kids to be educated? Yes, I do too. How do we do that? Oh, you want government to do that. You want government, a top-down command control economic model for that? I do not. I think, actually, we invert that. I think we let people decide for themselves. It doesn't mean I'm not for a solution. It just means I have a different way to get there. Um, back to Dean's email, he says, um, so it has to be your, so he talks about your callers, and that's kind of the giveaway here that he is not on board with uh, limited government. He is not on board. Well, well, all right, he's not on board with limited government when it comes to the one issue of abortion, right? But on everything else, he's not for limited government, uh, I assume, because these, uh, he's attacking all of the uh, callers. Uh, and then he says, or maybe it is the fault of talk radio and the news media's constant desire for conflict. Yeah, I mean, talk radio, I'm sure, plays a part, has played a part in uh, the division in America. Absolutely. But it was also... You know, originally, thank you, Rush Limbaugh, it was, and sincerely, like, it was originally equal time. You know, Rush Limbaugh always used to talk about how he is equal time. Because what a lot of folks, when they pine for the days, the good old days of the, of, you know, um, of news and, uh, and the way media used to be, what they're talking about is very few gatekeepers that are all of a similar kind of uh, ideology or political philosophy. They liked that. Fewer entry points into the market. Once again, the you know free market I am a fan of, and so the democratization of uh, platforms and people's access and all of that. Now, and look, I get it. There are downsides to this, right? Turns out, like, for a long time, people thought, well, if everybody had their own printing press, right? Like, that was the idea. Every man has his own printing press, and then, therefore, we will be the most free and informed society. All right, well, that... That turned out not to be true. Okay, everybody has their own printing press now on social media, and yeah, we're not actually smarter for it. But this actually gets to, uh, uh, there's a piece that I actually pulled the other day uh, talking about how universities have essentially abdicated their responsibility in teaching civics. And I would submit K-12 education has as well. Now, you can argue that that was by design, that that was an intentional thing, that the march through the institutions required an abandonment of uh, civics to be imparted to our citizenry. Um, but for whatever reason, it just it, it's not that big of a priority if it is even taught at all. Uh, and so I will get to that at some point. It's in the stack of stuff uh, I will get to now. Uh, He goes on to say, maybe it is the fault of talk radio and the news media's constant desire for conflict, except for Mark Garrison's show. So credit where it's due. He's a big Garrison fan. He has the best radio to be found anywhere in the country or Boomer Von Cannon because he's always happy. That's it. So in case you're ranking at home here, uh, Mark Garrison, number one in, in all the land. And then number two, Boomer. Those are, those are the, that's, I don't know where I fall on that list. Probably very, very, very low. 2.5. Yeah. Although Dean listens. So I kind of feel like I'm doing something right. 
You know, I kind of feel like there's something here that is attractive to Dean, that he listens, that he he chooses to spend his valuable listening time hanging out with me. So, you know, maybe we're doing something right. I mean, I'm no, I'm no Boomer Von Cannon, and I'm definitely no Mark Garrison, but I appreciate you sharing part of your day with me, Dean and everybody else. All right, Brett Winterbull is coming up next. Stick around. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. And I will talk with you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.